We are on Ksubis Yur Ambez on 10b2 in the article Gemara, beginning a new Mishnah. Uh, we are going to start a new Mishnah, and most of the Gemara, we will also, God willing, finish the Gemara, the commentary on this particular Mishnah. Most of the Gemara is what is referred to as Agarita. It's Agarita, it is the non-halachic part of the Gemara. Most of the Gemara, most of what we've been discussing until now, are halachic issues, discourse, discussions of Jewish law. Uh, there are parts of the Gemara, and it sort of it comes, it comes and goes. Uh, sometimes it, on one line they'll discuss the Jewish law, on another line they'll be discussing Agadita. Agadita is Jewish thought, Jewish thought, Jewish ideas. Within that also you can have other, um, other topics such as medicine in those days or as we will see probably words and definitions of words and why why words are the words that we use which will come up in this recording uh, in this Gemara and all of that is found in the Gemara and I think it's a beautiful idea that the Gemara we generally refer to it as Jewish law um, or at least the analysis of the, of the law uh, the discussion the discourse but it's also much more than that. It's it's our life. Kihem chayinu. It's our life. It's our being. It discusses much more than Jewish law, even though Jewish law itself is a, is a huge amount. It's a sea of knowledge. Uh, but it discusses every aspect of life: Jewish thought, Jewish philosophy, um, and uh, aspects of life itself, of daily daily life itself, of medicine, of uh, just uh, word usage. It's um, uh, the Gemara really covers everything. So let's begin with the Mishnah. Besulak subasam asayim. So this is what we had earlier as well, a besule, a virgin. So re- she receives uh, as her ksuba, the financial obligation that the husband takes upon himself when the marriage ends, either through death of the husband or through divorce, is 200 zuz. Uh, again, it's 200 zuz. Uh, uh, we explained last time that there's a discussion whether it's the same amount of uh, it would be today in terms of uh, the amount of the silver and how much that would cost today, or it might be uh, a year's worth uh, a, a, of salary. That um, That's how much it was back then. And so then today, we would translate it into how much an average salary would be. And for an almana, for a widow, and we'll see it's not just a widow, but it's really uh, anybody who is no longer a virgin, as we're about to see, so they receive half of that. They receive 100 zuz in their uh, second marriage. Uh, they would receive 100 zuz, which is approximately six months' salary. Um, and the Mishnah continues, Besula amana grusha v'chalutza mina erisin. If we have a case where she remains a virgin, essentially, because the, ma- the marriage ended between the first and second stage of marriage. It was marriage ended, let's say, between the giving of the ring until they actually live together, so they've never had sexual relations before. So if the marriage ends in any way, whether it's through death of the husband or they get divorced, even if there's chalitza, let's say the husband passes away and then the brother-in-law does chalitza, so they never uh, they never actually have sexual relations. In all these cases, even though she was married, uh, she was technically married because they had heiress in the first stage of marriage, still, when she gets married the next time, she would still receive 200 zuz because the point is in the end of the day it's all about whether or not she's a virgin that's really ultimately what it depends upon whether or not she receives 100 or 200 it does not really depend upon whether or not she is a widow 
or got divorced. It, it's, uh, if it happened during the, the between stage one and stage two, sort of that halachic engagement type time period, so then she would still receive 200 zuz in the next marriage because they, they didn't have sexual relations between stage one and stage two. Additionally, and this is the end of the Mishnah, additionally, uh, because she is still a virgin, so then all the all of what we've been discussing until now of the husband coming to court and claiming that uh, he didn't find the Dam Basulam, he didn't find the blood, the hymen blood, and in all those cases, he still has a claim. Because we assume that she's still a virgin, she entered into the marriage as a virgin, so there's this concern in certain cases, again, in limited cases, uh, that uh, she committed adultery, and so therefore we would take his claim seriously. Okay, that is the end of the Mishnah. The Gemara does not really discuss uh, the Mishnah. Uh, the Gemara really discusses maybe just one word in the Mishnah, and then it goes into a tangent. Uh, so let's let's begin uh, this Gemara. Again, we are on Yudam Abayz, moving on to 10b3, the top of 10b3 in the article Gemara. So the Gemara asks, where does the word Almana, widow, my Almana, where does that come from? So Amr Rav Chana of Baghdad says, Almana al Shem Mana. It's Almana because it comes from the word Mana, the end of Al Mana, Al Shem Mana. It's because of the Mana, of the 100 Zuz that she receives. That amount is called a Mana. That's how much she receives. And so therefore, that's what we call a widow in Almana. Now the Gemara asks, but it's not true for all widows. We call all widows in Almana, but it's not true. If she's a widow from the first stage of marriage and they never actually had sexual relations, so then she still receives 200 and not 100. So why is it called Almana for, for such a person? Almana min heiress and Michael Mimar, what are you going to say about a widow from the first stage of marriage who receives 200 zuz, two manas, not one mana? So then why is she called an Almana? So the Gemara answers, no. Once we already gave the name Almana to a widow, so then that'll be the name across the board, even though the reason behind the name no longer exists. Uh, if she becomes a widow, not after the second stage of marriage, not after the completion of the marriage, but only after the first stage of marriage, she still receives 200 Zuz, it's still two mana, but still we give the same name, because in the end of the day, they are both viewed as widow. They are widows. And so therefore they, give the, they have the name of Almana. The Gemara now asks an important question, but the word Amana comes and exists, we have it in the Torah. And the whole concept of the amount in the Ksuba, and this everybody agrees to, especially when it comes to the to the widow, that is rabbinic. When it comes to the widow of a hundred mana, that is entirely rabbinic. That everybody agrees to. We saw a dispute, whether it's biblical or rabbinic, when it comes to a besula, when it comes to a virgin. But if it's an Amana, if she's a widow... Everybody agrees that it's only on a rabbinic level. And yet, the Torah calls her an Amana. How does that work? But if it's based on the amount that she receives for the Ksuba, which is only rabbinic, which only took place much later, how could the Torah call her an Amana? So the Gemara has a very fascinating answer. The Torah calls her an Amana because the Torah knew that the rabbis would institute the concept of a mana for a widow. The Torah knew the future. The Torah knew the future, and therefore the Torah gave the name Almana based on the future, that in the future the rabbis would give uh, a mana to, will give this amount of a mana to a widow.
before the Ksuba. Unbelievable that the Torah knew the future and the Torah therefore wrote words based on the future. The Gemara asks, do we ever find this anywhere else? Where do we find that the Torah is referring to something in the future? The Gemara says, yes, we do have such cases. In when it comes to the four rivers in the very beginning of, of the Torah, by the creation of the world, the four rivers by the Garden of Eden, it says that the third river was flowing east of Ashur. Ashur never existed then. Ashur is a different, uh, is a different city. Um, and it didn't exist at that time, but it's based on the future. In the future, there'll be a city called Ashur. It didn't exist at the time of the Torah, but it existed in the future, some point after the Torah. Okay, and that's the conclusion of this part of the Gemara. Now, the Gemara did quote Rav Chana of Baghdad. So, Rav Chana of Baghdad was the one who gave the initial answer, this answer that, this explanation, that Almana is based on the word mana, based on the amount that she receives for her ksuba. Um, and based off of this, the Gemara now has another quote from this same Rav Chana of Baghdad, about a totally different issue. But uh, they quote Rav Chana of Baghdad. He's not quoted often, so they quote him here. Am Rav Chana Bagta'ah. He says, What's the purpose of rain? Matar. Rain is mashke, mirava, umizabel. Rain serves, it waters, it saturates, it fertilizes the ground. Umadin umamshech. And it gives luster and adds growth to the produce. Okay, these are all the different things that rain uh, accomplishes. Amar Rav Bar Rabbi Yishmael, Rav Bar Rav, the son of Rabbi Yishmael, Yisemar Rav Yemar Bar Shalemya, Maikra. They say, what's the verse that proves all of this? That this is the 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 point of rain, because it says Tlameha. It says in um, in in Tehillim in Psalms Tlameha Rave Naches Gedudeha Beravivim Timogena Tzimcha Tavarich. That it saturates, it settles. Uh, it softens and it grows. And, uh, that's how you should bless. So, but it's talking about rain and it says all the things that rain, that rain does. Okay, so on that note, um, the Gemara continues and says other things that certain objects, uh, accomplish. Amar Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar says, Mizbeach. What is Mizbeach? What does it do? What is the Mizbeach? The altar. In the temple, what does it accomplish? That's where we, we brought all the sacrifices, basically the place of the sacrifices. What does it accomplish? Meziach, umezin, mechabeb, mechaper. It removes the sins. It provides sustenance. It causes endearment to, from the Jews to Hashem, to God. And it atones. It does these four things. So the mayor asks, I understand providing sustenance. I understand creating this endearment from the Jewish people to Hashem. But the first and the last one, it's the same thing. To remove sins and to atone, isn't that the same thing? So the answer is no. The Mizbeach, the altar where the sacrifices were brought, it removes not just sins, but the decrees from those sins, the evil decrees from those sins, and it atones for those sins. So just to point out, we gave four different uh, aspects to uh, what the Mizbech, what the altar accomplishes, and to the Maharsha, one of the commentators in the back of the Talmud, he explains that each of the four really reflect a different type of, of sacrificial offering. We have something of the incest offering, the, the Ketores, so that removes the evil decree. 
Um, there's certain certain korbanos, certain sacrifices that we bring that atone for sins. It's called the sin offering. Um, and then we have other offerings which are uh, completely uh, completely burnt. None of it is eaten by people. It's just completely given to God as a gift. It's referred to as an ola. And that provides sustenance for the people. And also we brought uh, daily korbanos. Every day we brought two, two sacrifices, one in the morning, one in the evening. So that's all there to provide sustenance. And finally, the last one is the shlamim. There's a separate sacrifice called referred to as the shlamim, the peace offering. And that is there to provide endearment from the Jewish people to God. So we have these four different um, aspects of the Mizbeach, of the altar, and they really reflect different parts of the service, different forms of offerings that we have, and each one reflects a different offering. Okay, moving on to uh, 10b4 in the Art School of Gemara, Yidam, still on Yidam Bez. Another statement from this Rav Chana of Baghdad. Amar Rav Chana Bagtsa'a. He says as follows, Tamri dates, what do dates do? Date mishachanon, maspa'an, they warm the body and they satiate. Mishalshalon, ma'ashron, it loosens the bowels, it provides energy, and yet velo mefankon. It doesn't, even though they are sweet and a delicacy, apparently, it doesn't cause one to um, depend on having only delicacies, only fine foods. No, it doesn't cause a person to, to do that. Rav then adds, once we're discussing dates, I'm a Rav, al If a person's eating dates, Rashi explains that it could cause a person, if they're having so many dates, it causes a person not to, 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 to not be able to think straight. And so therefore, they're not allowed to make legal decisions. They're not allowed to rule on Jewish law if they had dates. Sigmar asks, is this really true? Is this really true, Mesave? You really cannot rule after you eat dates because uh, you're not able to think straight. When one eats dates in the morning and the evening, and they, they explain, based on the Gemara, that it's after you have a meal, it's good for a person. If it's in the afternoon, it's bad because it's not right after a meal. But in the middle of the day, smack in the middle of the day, nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. They're the, they're the most beneficial in the middle of the day. And they also get rid of three things, the dates. They get rid of machshava ra'a, bad thoughts in terms of worrying. They, they gladden a person, they make a person happy, and so therefore they don't worry. They get rid of v'cholim e'ayim, uh, intestinal sickness, v'tachtonios, they get rid, rid of hemorrhoids. So they're very helpful. It seems like they're very helpful. So how could Rav say that you cannot uh, issue rulings after eating dates? Kumar gives two answers. Okay, two answers. Answer number one is, who said that they're not beneficial? They... They, st- they could be very beneficial, but at the same time, just like wine, uh, you could you could not be able to think as uh, as straight and as clear as you would if you didn't have the dates. They're beneficial. But they temporarily just temporarily disorient somebody. Just like wine. The Amar Mar, because it was stated, If a person drank a revius of wine, they cannot issue rulings. If they drank a revius of wine, they are not allowed to issue um, issue any any rulings, and so just like wine is beneficial, but at the same time it causes it causes a person not to uh, to become somewhat intoxicated. Even so, even with just a revius, we say you cannot judge. So too, when it comes to these dates, the dates also you're not allowed to judge, even though they're very beneficial. Answer number two is by the same The second answer is no. It depends. Uh, it depends when. 
If you have the dates before eating bread, so it's not beneficial, and it causes a person not to be able to think straight. If it's after they have bread, so then they could think straight, and they could just issue rulings, and it is beneficial. Because Abaye said to prove this point, he says, it's not referring to his mother. His mother passed away at childbirth. So whenever he says, my mother told me, it's not referring to his mother, but it's referring to the nursemaid who raised him. And he says, Dates before eating bread uh, is like an axe to a palm tree. It's not good. After eating bread, it's like a bar to the door. It's, it's like the bar to the door. It fortifies the body. Okay. Now the Gemara continues with different words and what the words uh, mean and what they refer to. So a door is called a dasha. Why is a door called a dasha? Amarava, because it refers to the Hebrew word derech sham. The way to the house. The way to the house is through the door. So therefore, derech sham means dasha. Why is a ladder called darga? Darga, Amarava, derech kag. Darga is two is one word of, of that they put together two words of derech kag. It's the way to the roof. The way to get to the roof is by climbing on the ladder. Purya, why is the bed called Purya? Amar Papa Shaparn Virabin Aleha, because the bed is where people uh, perform the act where they then have children, they multiply and they're fruitful. And that's Priya Virivya, so it's called Purya. We call it Purya. Amar of Nachman Bar Yitzchak. One last thing, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, we're now moving to Yud Aleph, the top of Yud Aleph, I'm an Aleph, 11A1. Af Anu Namar, Islandess, Duchranis de Loyalda. An Islandess, which refers to a woman who's not able to, to have children, is referred to as a Duchranis, as, uh, as a Duchranis, as as if she's a ram who's also not able to give birth. So it's connected to, to that word, those words, uh, to those that are not able to give birth. Okay, so that concludes the Gemara. We're now going to begin a new Mishnah. Fascinating discussion in the next uh, in the next daf on daf Yud Aleph on eleven, and uh, discussing conversion and, and children converting on minors under the age of twelve and thirteen. Uh, that'll be the next discussion. We'll begin a new Mishnah, a new topic in the next recording.